Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Hey everybody, thank you for your patience. I am back in the studio for one last time. One last time this week, I am on day 33 of my water only fast and I am so weak. I can't believe it. I can I can hardly stand. I get dizzy all the time, but I, I, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm watching this stuff. I'm watching the medical stuff. I'm, I'm paying attention. Uh, don't don't get too concerned. But yes, I'm way too weak to, to preach today. And and if you're wondering, like, why don't you get somebody else to preach? Why are, why are you doing this today? And, and the reason is, is because the stuff that I'm going to be talking about today is, is one of my absolutely favorite topics of all of all time then there's no way I'm going to miss this opportunity cuz I believe that the simple content the simple content of the message today could forever impact your prayer life and if that happens, if your prayer life takes a big step forward today, I just can't even imagine the, the ripple effect as your prayers become more effective and more impactful where that where that goes, where that goes from here. So today I'm going to be talking about ways that your prayers can become vastly more effective. That's where we're going today. But before I do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you as we get going. I love blessing you. I'm I'm very excited for God's breakthrough in your life. So I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would be filled with life and joy and health and peace in Jesus' name. may, May you get all the guidance from God you need and may he make your path straight. May may your challenges crumble before you and may you be filled with love and life and be freed from every bit of evil. May that be your story and your journey in Jesus' name. May it be. Amen. Okay, so we are in a study on Abraham and God. Maybe we're going to study about God as we're looking at the life of Abraham, as we're looking at the interactions between Abraham and God, and, and gleaning a lot of really interesting things from, from those interactions. Previously, previously in our Abraham study, uh, we, we've seen that Abraham was called to leave his family. And he kind of did, but kind of didn't. He brought Lot with him. And that caused more challenges and situations than Abraham would have ever perceived. Sometimes you just got to trust God when he when he gives you direction. But he, he brought Lot with him and they, they journeyed together and they became quite wealthy. In fact, they became so wealthy after a while that uh, they had to part ways. There was a quarreling between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants. And so Lot chose to take his armada of tents down into the valley, down into the Rift Valley where the Dead Sea is today and, and down in the area near Sodom. And he, he camped out near Sodom and, and Abraham stayed in, in the hill country. Well, uh, time goes by. Uh, 
the the kings of Babylon and Persia and two other kings from unknown places, they come and they sweep through that valley and they capture the people, all the people, all the stuff from where Lot was living, including Lot and, and all his stuff. And they, they take it away and Abraham is activated and he gets the 318 men, very small compared to those kings, uh, 318 men of his household. And they go after these kings along with some of Abraham's friends. And they are victorious and they recapture all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the, the towns down there and Lot and all of his stuff. And they bring back all the goods and, and, and all the people. Now, I'm, I'm reminding you of that today before we get going, not just to kind of tell a big recap story, because Abraham today is going to be appealing for mercy. He's going to be appealing to God for mercy for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I just want to remind you that Abraham knows these people. These aren't just like strangers in some different town. He knows them. He has rescued them himself, like at great risk and a personal cost, he has rescued them. And then after rescuing them, he's journeying with the people who are in that broken, humbled place, humbled state, and he's brought them back into the land. He's met the king of Sodom, at least. They've had a correspondence where the king of Sodom's like, you know, you can keep all the stuff, but just give me back the people. And Abraham says, no, I'm, I don't want you to think that you've made me rich. And, and so like Abraham knows the king of Sodom. Personally, like they've met. So, so like as Abraham is, is interceding for these people today, he has actually spent time with them. He, he knows them and, and he's rescued them himself. So that's one bit of background thing. I think the other one that we just want to make sure we're aware of is that we are in the middle of chapter 18 of Genesis today. And in the first half of the chapter, God, well, the angel of the Lord, at least, shows up with two angels and they are standing near Abraham and Abraham hosts a feast for them. And they have a conversation about Sarah having a, a son about this time next year. But, but the context was Abraham has been showing hospitality to this, the, these two angels and the angel of the Lord, which is probably God, but is referred to as the angel of the Lord. That's where we're going to pick up today. If you have your Bibles, we just go flying straight out of that last story in the context of the meal. In fact, that's where it picks up in Genesis 18, verse 16. It says, Then the men, the, sorry, the, that's the three, the three, got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Okay, just, just a quick note on, on this bit right here. God likes to reveal things to his friends, those who are walking closely with him, those who honor God like Abraham, those who have faith like Abraham has, those who God has plans, great plans for their life like Abraham, like you if you are trusting God and walking in faith. So Abraham wasn't asking God about his plans. He wasn't in like some sort of intercession time, but because he's in a close relationship with God, because he's connected to God, God tells him anyways. He's just like, well, we're friends. We're here. He's here. Should I hide? No, I shouldn't hide. 
Now, th that's the kind of friendship and closeness that I want to have with God. Isn't that the kind that you want to have with God? Where you're just kind of with Him and He just, he just shares things that, that are on His heart and His mind. Maybe we don't even know what to ask sometimes. We weren't even thinking, hey, God, what's your thought about Sodom? Uh, but, or, or whatever the case may be. But because we're close to God, He just tells us the things that are on His heart. Maybe things that are in fact impacting you or things that are impacting the people that you care about. I, I love that. That's the kind of relationship that I want all of us to have. But we keep reading and we get to verse 19. God's still speaking. It says, the Lord's still speaking. It says, I have signaled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Now, just a quick note here. If you're a Christian, a spiritual son or daughter of, of Abraham, you are under this same directive all these generations later. God has signaled you out. He has, he has called you out to direct your children and your family to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and good. That is, that is a commission over your life. Christian parenting is about intentionally training your families to know God. I, I hear about people who are like, oh, I'm just going to let them decide. That is not God's directive. That's, that's people's thoughts. God's directive is to be intentional to train your children to know the Lord, to honor the Lord, and to, to walk in His ways. So as a Christian parent then your job is to model what it looks like to be a godly man or woman behind closed doors. Not, not just at church, but like behind closed doors. And to show your family the real, what it really is like to follow God and to, to walk in His ways. And, and to show your family what are the results of a lifetime of reading your Bible, of prayer, of, of honoring God and trusting Him. Now, it's not just about modeling that. It's not just about modeling that to your, to your family. It's also about instructing them. It's about directing them. Children, we are a family that follows God. That, that's what we're doing. We are a family that follows God. We are going to honor the Lord by doing what is right in the Lord's eyes, by doing what is just in the Lord's eyes. This is the special call on my life as a man of God or a woman of God. This is the call on your life as, as being part of this family and is what is you, a mantle for you to take up, to pass on to your children, and for them to take up, to pass on to your grandchildren, and so on as long as the Lord, Lord tarries. I, it is, we, my job is then to teach you what is right in God's eyes, not what's right in the world. Now, not what you're hearing all out there. I, my commission from God is to teach you what's right in God's eyes and to teach you about God's justice, the justice uh, in, God's, in God's point of view. If you have kids, being a godly, intentional parent behind closed doors is, is, is one of those most prime mandates in your life. 
I just keep pushing on that button behind closed doors because I know that's where it's the hardest. But it's behind closed doors where it's the most powerful as well. We've got a long ways to go. Let, let me just keep reading here. So we're in chapter 18 in Genesis, and we get to verse 20, and it says, So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. Now, there's, there's two important things in this bit. Number one, God hears. And, and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah that are crying out, that, like whatever he's hearing, they're not Christians, you know, they're not believers, but God hears. God hears, biblical fact. God especially hears the cries of those who are being sinned against and those who are being treated evilly. Which brings us to the next thing here. God is a God of justice. It's one of his core things. He's a God of justice. He hates it. God hates it when people are being wronged. God hates it when people are being sinned against. There's something so powerful when, when we as God's people see people being wronged where we see injustice and we see something horrific happen and we call out to the God of justice to bring justice in that situation. God is so extra moved by by appeals for justice and, and for rightness. One of the things I like to say is God hears tears. God hears tears. The tears of those who are being treated evilly. He, it's like he hears those tears. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you're being mistreated or, or even worse, God sees you. He sees your tears. He hears them and, and he's hearing your prayers for help. He's hearing your prayers for, for justice on, on your awful situation. I just know that is 100% true about God. I love it that, that God is so into justice, that it is so important to him that in this story, before he just acts, he's sending angels down to confirm you. Like, why does he do this? No, this is just God's way, just making sure. I want everybody to know. I want the angels to know that what I'm about to do is so right and so just. It might seem extreme to everybody else on planet Earth, but the angels of God are going to go verify that there is a justice challenge needed in this situation. So uh, he sends of angels down and so we keep we keep reading in verse 22 the other men who are angels turned and headed towards Sodom but the Lord remained with Abraham Abraham approached him and said will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in, in the city will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes surely you wouldn't do such a thing destroying the righteous along with the wicked? Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find fifty righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. 
Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Okay, please don't be angry, my Lord. Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, Since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Wow, that's powerful. We're going to talk about this in a moment. But first, how about a map? Let's, let's just make sure we, we know what's going on here. Uh, noting that the red X on the map is where Abraham and the Lord and those angels are having their meal and discussion. That, that's the area there just north of Hebron. Uh, Jerusalem, they're circled in green. That's not really part of it, but just so you know where, where that's at. And then the blue area, I kind of feel a little silly. I should have just said the Dead Sea, which is very obvious in this, in this map. But yes, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah are down there in the plain, down in the Dead Sea area. I, I'm, I'm sorry for drawing the blue circle. Oh, well. Uh, some pictures. So you, this is a picture here now of the Dead Sea area, kind of facing the north bit of it. Uh, I also included a picture here of an ex excavation work that is on the Jordan side in, in modern-day uh, Jordan. And there's the archaeologists there are speculating that maybe this is one of those cities like Sodom or whatever. I mean, nobody even knows. It, nobody even knows. They've got their theories. Uh, most people believe that Sodom and Gomorrah are somewhere under the Dead Sea, still underwater, and or are destroyed, like so completely as the Bible describes that there's nothing to uncover here 4,000 years later. Um, you know, I, I just, that's the area. The Dead Sea is the area, whether it's the north side of the Dead Sea or south side of the Dead Sea. It's, that's, that's the area that we're talking about here in this, in this story. Okay, so I want to talk about this for a moment. This time where Abraham is interceding with the Lord on behalf of the people of Sodom. And, and this is a brilliant example of powerful and effective intercessory prayer. Now, I understand that, that Abraham is talking to the Lord face face. I mean, it talked about him as the angel of the Lord, but then as we've continued to read, it just starts referring to him as the Lord, as the Lord, as the Lord. Uh, so he's talking to the Lord face to face, which still counts because we're talking to God. That's, that's our prayers. It's, it's talking to God. And so we're going to talk about uh, what is intercessory prayer really quickly. And for that, I got my buddy, my alter ego, Picasso, to, uh, to give us a, a drawing of, of kind of what's going on here. But basically, as you can see on this drawing, 
Intercessory prayer is praying to God, like where we pray to God for God to act for you or for somebody else. It could be for you, but mostly for somebody else. God, would you please act? So that's that's simply uh, intercessory prayer in, in, a, in a picture. I mean, you might be asking God for mercy for yourself or for somebody or for rescue or for revelation or whatever. I'm praying for my neighbors that God would give them Jesus dreams and that would be uh, drawing them to Jesus and they would come to salvation. Intercessory prayer is very, very powerful. We, we hugely underestimate this, but intercessory prayer is very, very powerful. If you are in the West End building, or if you're in the South Side building, or if you're in the Paisley building, or if you're in the Royston shop, or, or, or anywhere down there, then you are in a place, you're in an actual location that is the result of long time intercessory prayers being answered. You're in a testimony location. Of, of long of, of long time intercessory prayers for years in agony I can't even tell you the agony our church was praying for space to meet or originally back in the old days and after six years six long years after six years of like talk talking about giving up at, at times God finally answered the prayers uh, for for space and gave our church the West End building. Uh, again, after six years of prayer, and he gave it to us for, for 40000 so we could be debt-free and, and grow and thrive. And, and it was just a breakthrough moment for our church. But it was such a breakthrough moment that we quickly filled up this building and, and ran out of space. And so we started praying for another six years for more space. We didn't know exactly what we were praying for. We were just praying for more space. And, and then finally, after six years of praying, uh, the whole church is praying and interceding. God, we need to provide, get intercessory prayer. Then finally, God gave us Southside and, and more space. And then he gave us Royston, and he continues to give us more space in Royston. Very excited as that, that, that shop front goes, comes together. Scott, 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 thank you, Scott, for all you're doing out there. And then um, also for uh, now Paisley. I mean, he's given us so, so much space, and, and we'll see what else happens. But I know personally, and our church is experiencing, and you're probably sitting in a place right now that is that is an example of intercessory prayer answered. But I also know what it's like to feel discouraged in prayer in those long years of praying and, and waiting. And, and maybe you're in a place. Maybe you're in a place where you're feeling like your prayers aren't working. It's even possible if you've been praying for a while that you might have come to a place where you feel like God doesn't even really hear your prayers, that your prayers don't really do anything. Now, now, friends, those are lies. The enemy is, is attacking you. Jesus, who I would trust if I were you. Jesus is the one that I trust when it comes to prayer. Jesus is the one that says very clearly, you ask in my name and, and I will do it for you. Your prayers are powerful and the enemy hates your prayers and he wants to stifle your prayers and he wants to smother your prayers and he wants to keep you from having any heart about praying anymore and he's going to fill you with lies and, and doubts. But if you are a Christian, your prayers in the name of Jesus are powerful. 
And, and if you're walking with Jesus and you're, you're, you're living a righteous life in Christ Jesus, James chapter 5 says the prayers of the righteous are very powerful in their effect. And then it goes on to give the example of Elijah, who is a person just like us, and, and, and his prayers. Don't buy the lies of the enemy that's trying to keep you from praying. The enemy knows how powerful your prayers are. Prayers that you're praying in Jesus' name. Even if you're not the world's greatest Christian, the prayers that you're praying in Jesus' name are super powerful in, in, in their effect. Don't, don't buy the lies. Now, I believe all prayers are good. Let me say that better. I believe that all prayers are good, but I believe that there are some prayers which are much more powerful and effective than other prayers. I believe that there are some prayers that are much more powerful and effective than, than other prayers. And sometimes that, that offends people. It offends people because I get it. It is true that we don't need fancy prayers. We don't need to be the world's best prayer for, for us to be helped and, and for God's breakthrough, for God to hear our prayers. 100% true. We don't need fancy prayers at all. But remember, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, the first thing that he did is he gives them an example structure of how to pray. And then he goes on to teach all about it. And he gives them lots of thoughts about it. But the first thing he does is he gives them a model of a well-structured prayer, which we often call the Lord's Prayer. Today, I want to highlight three things that Abraham does here in his moment of intercession with the Lord that, that are so powerful when it comes to increasing the effectiveness of our intercessory prayer. And, and, I, and I hope that as you incorporate these things into your prayer life, in fact, I know that if you incorporate these things in your prayer life, your prayers will be even more effective. Okay, so the first thing that I see Abraham doing as he anchors his prayers, his intercessory prayers, uh, he anchors them in God's own values and characters. So, character. so, so point number one, make your intercessory appeals rooted in God's character. Make your intercessory prayers rooted in in God's character. And, you know, it's part of the passage, verse 25, Abraham's saying, like, surely you wouldn't do such a thing. You know, appealing to his values and character. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Appealing to God's moral character of doing what is right and, and his justice. God, you're not going to do what's wrong. This is who you are. You are a just God. You do what's right. You're not going to do anything that's wrong. So based on your own values, God, appeal based on your own character, your own values, answer my prayer in Abraham's case for mercy. If you're praying for a family member to be saved, God, you desire that none should perish. Like that is on your heart. So I appeal to you on behalf of my, my children or my parents or my brothers or my nieces or my nephews or whatever. Like I, I, I value you, you, that they would come to believe in Jesus. By the way, my daughter, she's at the uh, University of the Nations uh, in Kona, Hawaii. I mean, just hundreds of radically ex just passionate Jesus followers there and they get together and worship all the time. You know that song, I Speak Jesus? Uh, you know, I Speak Jesus and and uh, what, 
one of the lines is, Jesus for my family. And, and Emma was telling me like, man, when, when they're in the room there and they're saying, Jesus for my family, the place just erupts. It's like, Jesus for my family. And they're like yelling out like names of unbelieving relatives of theirs. Like just like yelling out names. It's like, Jesus. Oh man, I, I've never seen it with my own eyes, but I'm just, I, it gives me chills just to think of the, the passion as these people are singing. I speak Jesus for my family. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that's, that's, just, that's just free. But, but we're talking about like if you're praying for rescue, if you're praying for injustice, if you're praying and interceding for people, for their salvation, you want to appeal to the heart and the character and the values, the compassion of, of God like Abraham does. It amps up the power and the effectiveness of, of our prayers when, when we're praying in that way. So number one, make your intercessory appeals rooted in God's character. N number two, number two, make your intercessory appeals intelligently reasoned. Intelligently reasoned. People vastly underestimate how, how much God likes intelligently reasoned prayer requests. You ever think about that? God loves intelligently reasoned prayer requests. And just think about the story of the Canaanite woman uh, where, where Jesus is not really interested in, in answering your prayers. You know, like, no, this is not appropriate. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. And, and he is totally seems like opposed to, to answering this lady's request until, until he hears her brilliant response. Her brilliant response. And, and you know, crumbs under the dogs, crumbs under the table. It's just like, okay, that was a good one. Okay, fine. You get your prayer answered. You, you get your prayer answered. Like, that, yeah, you, you got me. That, that was, a, that was a, good, a good response. I don't know very many people who map out their most important prayer requests. Like, like why, why? Why don't I know people like that? If I was going to have a meeting with someone who had the ability to supply the finances needed, or if I was going to have a meeting with someone that was able to bring the breakthrough in a situation or, or to prove what needs to be approved or, or to intervene in what needs to be intervened in, if I was going to, I would be very dialed into my reasonings for persuading them why they should act or why they should intervene, why they should provide. Like, I would want to have, like, a, a whole slew of, of reasons. And I know that God understands our hearts. I know that God knows what we want even before we ask Him. But He enjoys and is persuaded by intelligently reasoned prayer requests at times. In, in my journal, sometimes I'm, I, like, make out lists. Okay, here's my prayer request. And here's all the reasons why God... Uh, should, should answer my prayers from, from his point of view. Now, I know that we are trying to train our church this way uh, during our prayer times before the, before the, the, the normal gathering times. Oh, the, if you're missing those, they are just so beautiful. But come, come to those. But the, the prayer times, they're that just before the, the gatherings. Uh, at those times, we're, we've for years been pushing the answer, the, the question, why should God answer your prayers? It's like the secret uh, of, of prayer. Like, if for you to be thinking of intelligent reasons why it is good for God from God's perspective to answer your prayer request, 
How does it fit with this character? All the all, all the things there. God, let me give you God, let me give you seventeen great reasons why, from your perspective, this is a great prayer request to answer it and answer now and answer quickly. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. Powerful stuff. Anyway, so that's uh, number two. Make your intercessory appeals intelligently reasoned. Number three, and finally, make your intercessory appeal persistently. Make your intercessor, persistency, persistence. Like here, see how Abraham keeps going. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, finally 10. Abraham isn't just appealing for Lot. He's not just saying, well, can you just get Lot out of there? Remember, he knows these people. He's met them, and Abraham has already rescued them once himself. I told you that that uh, for six years we were praying uh, for us to get ultimately the West End building, and then six more years for God to open up more spaces for us as a church. People give up praying way too soon. You are going to be prone because the enemy is going to be lying to you to stop praying way too soon, to lose heart, and even if you're saying the words to have like zero faith behind them because the enemy is trying to destroy your prayer power. Keep believing. Keep persisting. I love these words in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, it says, One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Oh, that they should, this is the story, that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city. He said, who, knew, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? When Jesus returns, how many people will he find with faith like this on the earth who are persistent in appealing to God, intercessory prayer, appealing to God for justice, for God to intervene, for God to make things right, so persistent that they just never give up. Isn't that what it says? That they should always pray and never give up? That the people that will never give up praying for God to intervene in situations. Friends, I want your prayers to be answered. I want more prayers of yours to be answered. I want your prayers to be answered more quickly. And I believe wholeheartedly 
that intentionality on these three things, intentionality about adding these three things to your intercessory prayers, to your prayer life, will greatly increase the effectiveness and the impact of your prayers. As you appeal to God's character, as you bring intelligently reasoned appeals, and as you are persistent and praying, never giving up until God answers those prayers. Here's your challenge for the week. The challenge is this. I want you to write out your strongest arguments based on God's character and intelligent reasoning why God should answer your biggest prayer requests. Take your biggest prayer request and just map it out. Seven reasons, 15 reasons, 30 intelligent reasons why God should answer your prayers. Just go deep. Go like go as deep as possible. Don't keep it shell. When you when you get stuck, give it say, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with more. Just keep digging, keep digging. I'd love to see 15, 17 or more in intelligent biblical reasons based on God's character or based on God's heart or based on just why it would be good for God to answer your biggest prayer requests. Go for it. That, that could be a powerful prayer-changing challenge for you this week. All right, do that. Friends, let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for you to hear the prayers that are being prayed by the people in this room. God, I ask you to intervene in their situations, that you would hear and that you would act, that you would answer their prayers. Why? So that they would be encouraged, that you are the God who's still listening and hears prayers, just like your Bible says you are. That you would hear and with your grace pour out quick answers to, the, to all of their situations. God, I know that you have compassion on these people, that you have compassion on, on all of us. So hear and act and answer quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.